welcome to Various Things. I'm Gary Lama. Today's interview is with musician James Minifee. James started playing punk rock in the early 1990s as the basis for the band Fun Size. And over the course of that decade, took the band from a band that self-released their own recordings and played locally to one that was on a label and had toured the country. And later, he formed River City High, a band that left off where Fun Size ended and allowed James to explore a wider sense of musical influence as well as become signed to MCA Records. To me though, James was someone who, being older than my 14-year-old self and having gotten into punk and playing shows a few years before me, he was someone I looked up to in the 1990s Southside Richmond punk scene. And at that early age, watching the way his band did things inspired me and folks like me to try and do our own things as well. So with that, here is my interview with James Menifee. Enjoy. How did you get into punk rock and like playing music? Man, uh, always the best question and so happy to answer it always. Uh, music itself was never even a question. I just was always going to play it. You know, like I fell in love with these Beatles records when I was three. It was real obvious that I, that I gravitated towards music of any variety. My dad brought home a tape recorder from work when I was around the same age. And I was like blown away by the fact that you could, you know, press the record button and you could hear your own voice back. And then, you know, I immediately started doing things like holding the tape recorder up to the speaker and recording the record, then trying to sing over the part, you know, uh, oh, when cool. I would play it back, you know, and, and I was confused by the fact that it would, you know, cut out when I would record that it wouldn't just record over the music, you know, little kid brain. That wasn't multi-track. Yes. Little kid brains putting all this stuff together, you know, like it, it's just, you, you just think, you have this intuitive thing that you think is just going to work, you know, and you're like, wow, that didn't work. It cuts out entirely. And I'm just like singing over silence. That's horrible, you know, but I would still do it all the time. You know, just like I just went towards music and the Beatles had were like the, the main thing about that. There's something about the Beatles that just like that children love or um, I just, I find that a lot happens with their, 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 they were a band at the time that really helped a lot of kids just discover that they were musical. The oft asked question is, you know, are you a Rolling Stones or a Beatles fan? It's, it's hard not to say the Beatles every time, because if you've been listening to a band since you were three, you, you're just like, uh, I guess it has to be the Beatles. But that's right. a stupid question because it's, you can't just do re, reducto ad absurdum to, you know, two wonderful stalwarts of music, but that's another thing. Um, so uh, uh, in punk rock itself, I was kind of um, languishing in this suburban Led Zeppelin milieu. I had like moved on from kind of 50s rock and roll. I was like obsessed with Buddy Holly for years, which I'm very happy. I also became obsessed with, right? So it was like the Beatles and it was Buddy Holly. And then something happened to where like I clicked into this like Led Zeppelin mode. And I had, I guess it had to do with the fact that I was, you know, 12 slash 13 suburban white teenage boy. And right. I was obviously like, you find it, you find each other. <laughs> yeah. And and if you remember when we were kids, they would do that thing on Tuesday night, or not Tuesday night, every night, actually on XL 102, they would get the lead out. Yeah. They would get the yep, lead out yep. at 9 p.m., which they would just play like three, 
two or three, there are three, I think, three Led Zeppelin songs at 9 p.m. And I started getting the lead out for like four or five months. And Led Zeppelin, strangely, offered me this bridge from kind of rudimentary rock and roll thing that I had been into practically my entire life to punk rock. And that's when Alan, who played, plays drums in Fun Size, he had just come back from uh, like a three-year, three to four-year stint where he was living out of town. And he himself had been turned on to punk rock when he was out of town. And he came back basically with punk rock in his collection. When he came home from Wisconsin with all these, all these, you know, these punk rock tapes, it was only a matter of time before uh, I just started exploring it on my own. He and I had started playing music together um, because I had a drum set and we had begun slow process of starting to play a band, which meant also learning how to play our instruments together. He wanted to play music that, that he was actually listening to that, you know, and that was half of his, the music that he'd been listening to was, was punk rock. So somehow I get a Descendants tape in my hand, then that totally clicked. I mean, there really was, I was Led Zeppelin fanatic for like four months. And then all of a sudden on this like Christmas break, when I was in like eighth grade, I just all of a sudden decided I loved punk rock. And I like dubbed all of Alan's tapes. <laughs> like, oh, hell yeah. I bought. I went to Peaches and bought a couple, and and then with my Christmas money, basically, and and then dubbed like twelve of his tapes and just started started listening. But the funny thing about it is, we didn't even know what it was called. We had no idea what the genre of music was. He didn't know what the genre was, so I definitely didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was no internet. There was no way to to like kind of just find any of the stuff. From basically, it was. For me, it was this music that Alan had that was more modern and rockin' that wasn't Led Zeppelin. <laughs> That's oh, when that wow. started. You know, people our age have a lot to say about how the the unfettered access folks have now to, to everything. And it is very true that it would have been a lot easier for me to get a hold of things and understand what I was listening to had I had the internet, you know, and all of us. I didn't even know what I was getting a hold of. I had no idea what the genre was. I just kind of realized that it was aggressive and more modern. And this was all happening against the backdrop of, of Nirvana Nevermind, right? So this was all happening the exact same time, right? So Christmas 1991 was the Nirvana Christmas. That's when kids everywhere went to record stores and bought Nevermind with their Christmas money. Was um, that right after and, like, uh, the Saturday Night Live performance or whatever? That was actually, st I think that was still before SNL. SNL, I think, was oh, in wow. January. They hadn't even made it to SNL yet, but it was slowly, sell steadily selling and, and building and building up until that around that Christmas New Year. So it, everything happened for me at the exact same time that this industry was was also shifting away from hair metal and towards, you know, the alternative boom of the, of the early nineties. Um, I found myself as a, as a 14 year old kid right there, you know, and like, I was, oh, yeah. um, it was perfect for me at the time. I knew that like the descendants and, and, and all in seven seconds. And, and I knew that they were 
alternative. I just didn't really understand the punk rock slant. I had always thought that punk rock was, you know, in in my mind, it was stuff that we saw on TV when there would be like orange mohawks and that's it. You know, it was like the right. scariest. And for me, it was like terrifying. I was so afraid of it, which also right. was the allure in a lot of ways, you know, for um, sure. Yeah. But I, I, I had no idea that I was entering into, a. Uh, into, into punk, albeit a, a you know pretty, you know well, I don't think the descendants are too watered down, but it wasn't you know it wasn't exploited, um, but it was you know I was entering into into the world, and I'm lucky that it happened, and it, it just was like it was like the exact perfect time, you know you can you be can you be a better age than 14, and you know your parents are splitting up, and <laughs> you're you know you're in eighth grade and you need something oh, wow. and, and that's, and it's just like, it's part, it was just, it couldn't have been better. Thank yeah, that's when you're hungry for that like, identification. <laughs> yeah. What, like, like really kind of trying to find, um, well, I mean, that's the time when you're kind of trying to find who you are, but you're also, you're, you're becoming aware that um, there's more to society than what's been shown to you kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. For real. And I knew that you would be really good at putting that into like a more societal context, (laughs) which I appreciate about you. Yes. Um, So at this point, had you, well, and thank you, um, had you had any like formal training with your instrument or were you guys just like fucking? I had taken, so I had taken piano lessons for like about five years, you know, that's the slow pace of a, of a kid through like elementary into early middle school piano lessons. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, I had, I had learned about, you know, just basic chords and, and harmony, which I realized early on, I loved very much. Um, and I had a, an, an ear that was able to pick out, you know, rudimentary things. And that, that helped me along the way. And that is like, that was beyond, without a doubt, the the most helpful thing ever in terms of just like uh, starting off, you know, musical journey. It wasn't as glamorous as, as, as guitar, but it gives you just all the basics. And I'm so happy that that was like consistent on uh, with my parents. I, I went to a couple guitar lessons um, and the guy that taught me, uh, I still see around town. He, he plays guitar and we see each other at shows. It's, really hilarious um so i went to see this dude when i was like six it just didn't really like click i i wasn't my hands you know i had tiny little kid hands and they just couldn't push the strings down and i think it was like i think it was like my grandmother who stepped in and she has a uh, an incredible voice and she recognized that i was interested and she encouraged my mom to just start me on piano and then we'll go from there and that was that was perfect you know and that the piano thing lasted and until I also thought I was better than piano lessons and became, you know, rebellious suburban teenage punk. Right. Yeah. So where'd you go to? Did you go to guitar or bass first? Uh, when we had started playing music together, I was playing this keyboard that my dad had given me for Christmas one year and Alan was playing drums and we realized that we needed to have something other than keyboard and drums, which was like, you know, those first Misfits records, you know, that, that cough, cool seven inch, uh, that's yeah. keyboard and drums. It's like it's the same thing. You know, it's like, it's so funny how, how, how weird kids start playing music and do things. Um, so Alan and Alan and I realized we needed to maybe have a guitar in the band and 
we knew Brian from, he was just a, a skater who had a guitar that Alan knew at school. So Alan asked him if he, if he was interested in, in playing with us. So he came over and it was like guitar, keyboard, drums. And eventually right. someone pointed out that, that there needed to be a, a bass and no one really knew what a bass was, but that that was the other thing that a band had and that it had four strings. So I took an electric guitar that another neighbor had that, that he had gotten for Christmas. That was just like $50 guitar that his parents just had sitting around. And so I just took the treble strings off, you know, the strings one and two, I took those off and just had four strings on the guitar. And that's how I started playing bass. <laughs> so at normal six string tuning or were you also tuning it down um it was normal normal six string tuning but that was another thing is that i didn't know how to tune the bass i wasn't sure if it was tuned the same way as a guitar and one day there was a party in the neighborhood and a band played the party and i walked up to a guy and i asked him if what he was playing was a bass guitar <laughs> and he said yes and I said, how is it tuned? And he told me it was EADG. And I was like, awesome. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> and so that's how I learned how to oh tune it. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. I had no idea how to tune it. And I assumed, you know, in, in, that, in that way, it worked out well. And in the, in, the, in the kid intuition, you know, that it didn't work out when I was three and I was trying to record my voice over, over the, you know, it wasn't multi-track. Right. But it helped with bass playing. I was like, I think it's probably EADG. Why would it be anything different? But at the same time, you know, it could have been, you know, ukuleles aren't tuned to the same strings. They're all out of control, too. So it could have been different. Oh, so yeah. you're going through this. You're getting into high school. When did you discover that there was actually, like, a local, like, punk rock community? Right. Uh, I had, you know, as you as you go along, you know, you're listening to punk rock and you're starting to, um, you know, hear about these things just just asking around and you hear people talking about like shows right like you just like there were older kids who who mentioned that they had like been to things and 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 seen things in the same way that i had seen you know chuck berry and the monkeys at the mosque i knew like i knew that these bands you know toured and that they played shows and they had to play somewhere just i just assumed um, although right. I had no idea what or where going into downtown Richmond was a thing that I never done, you know, ever. I mean, very, very rarely. My parents were not the folk, kind of folks that went into the city and did anything. You know, my, my mom worked like a, an office manager job at a local de like a dentist office. I went to school. She came home, made dinner. You know, weekends were spent not really doing anything that involved going into the city. I mean, it never right. happened. So I didn't know where this stuff happened, but I knew that it had to just kind of you intuited it. Right. Um, but the first show I was able to go to was that Sonic Youth Super Chunk Boredom show that was on the Browns Island. Um, and oh, wow. that was, yeah, that was 1993. Um, it was outside, outside and big enough to where um, it, it, it wasn't like difficult to find out about, you know, um, it did not include the fact that there's a whole other, there's a whole other thing that happened with, with music with me at the, at the time where I was trying to figure out like what shows were or whatever. I really got into going to see that band that at the time they were called boy, oh boy, and they were a ska band and right. Yeah. And I found out about them 
just listening to a local radio station, there was a DJ on there that I became friends with. His name was Eric e. Stanley. He told me about this kind of all-day show that was happening on a St. Patrick's Day, you know, at a really boring outdoor thing in the West End. And I went to it, and Boy Oh Boy was playing. And, you know, when they, when they went on stage, it, like, blew my mind because they were, like, seven dudes – and they were playing this like very upbeat, fast music, and they were all over the stage. And that made a lot of sense to me when I was in eighth grade. So um, so for me, that was just kind of also like, I didn't really, I had no idea what ska was, of course, how would I even know what ska was? But they were, they were, they were definitely, it just, for me, it was just like, this sounds like reggae, but it's fast. So, okay, I'm into it, you know, and, and I'm 14 and I have a lot of energy and, and it's very frenetic. So I had gone to see them play a few times, but quickly realized that like their crowd was not like young punk kids. They seemed to be kind of like mostly like college oriented, almost like, you know, beer drinking, like fat people. Um, right. And I noticed, I knew that I was like, not necessarily like that. Although I didn't shun it because I thought that, I thought that band was great. And I still do. It's really, really fun to get into a ska band when you're in eighth grade. That is great. They're so oh, yeah. it's very, it's so fun and energetic. Uh, and it still had, I still have a tremendous love for Scott and all its varieties, even though it took, you know, such a hilarious circuitous nineties pass um, for better, or for worse. Uh, I just right. like, I'll, I'll, I'll have, a, I have such a soft spot for, for Scott in general, without a doubt, the first wave and without a doubt, the second wave. And then I pick and choose third the third quote unquote third wave bands but but local scene stuff you know other than the boy oh boy thing and then going to see that sonic youth show it all came together thank god this is this is what happened it all worked out to where around this december of 1993 what ended up becoming fun size my first band we met this guy who who was our singer for like five months and he was going to see Inquisition at the Metro and he took me to the show. And it was my first time going to an actual punk rock show. And I will never forget every single moment of that night. So it was a touch. It was, it was the descendants touch the sun cassette release show. Um, and seeing people in a crowd with descendant shirts and it just, I, I, I wanted to walk up to like each one of them and just like talk to them. It was the most exciting thing. I couldn't believe that there were other people that actually had merchandise from these bands that I had been listening to. No one showed me that that was a thing, you know, and Inquisition was amazing. They were so good live and I loved that show. And that was, and the Metro was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was dark and it was it was dirty and I was yeah, terrified. Was. I was, was just so upstairs or downstairs. Yeah, it was up, it was upstairs. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was so scared something horrible was going to happen to me. And I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I had never been to a, a, a show at an actual club, all the other shows I had actually been to the flood zone a couple of times, but they, they felt a lot more together. Right. Like the right. Metro was, was an actual punk rock club. Um, and it was, it was total chaos and I, and I loved it. I, I felt like, I felt like an outsider and I felt like I fit in at the same time, if that made sense. 
Um, yeah, it does. You know, just, it does. Just, yeah, yeah. And 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 then, but then it was like, then it was on. Then once I was able to actually <laughs> go to a show and I saw that it was a thing, then 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 I then I started you know knowing like where to go and how to do it. I just needed someone to like take me to one for the first time, you know. And then happened. So when you went to that. Were y'all playing shows already? Like, or, or playing? We had we had not actually played a club yet, and then our first opportunity that we got to do that was when we found out that Green Day was playing Twisters, and someone. Wait, what? That was your first fucking show. No, 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 no. I wish. Um, someone, so someone <laughs> told told me about that they, that they might be playing Twisters, and then I called Twisters. I looked the number up in the phone book, <laughs> called Twisters, and the person who answered the phone was Steve Douglas, who was the guitar player in Gore, who had stopped playing in Gore when he was booking Twisters at the time. And Steve answered oh, the wow. phone, and, and I asked him if Green Day was coming, and he was like, yeah, they're coming on, on this day. And this was early January, you know, 93, so this would have been um, – you know, a month after that that Inquisition show, right? So it was like around that same time, and he he said they were coming, and I and of course I was like that I'm I was so excited. I think I probably like squealed even like a child. I don't know, and and I'm sure Steve was completely amused with the conversation. And I in some for some reason I told him I had a band. I don't even know how this happened. And he like and I told him that we sounded like Green Day. And he asked us if we wanted to play a show at Twisters. And I said, yeah. And we set up our first show, like, right there over the phone on the spot for, like, it was Valentine's Day, 1993. So oh my God. Um, he had never heard us. He had never met me before. We had never spoken. But, but that's how – that's how that's how you could book a show in the early nineties. You know, you just you, you called a club, you asked about Green Day, the guy said yes. You said you had a band. They sounded like Green Day. He said, Okay. And he knew I was a kid and he was basically like, Can you bring people on a Sunday night? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Okay, let's let's do a show. And so we booked our show. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um it's it's wild. I've seen Steve a couple times over the years. I've tried to remind him about that. I'm sure he did this. I was not the first person with whom he did this, but I just when you when I tell you this story now, it cracks me up because I think about how crazy it is to to. It's like I can't even get a show at you know the Broadberry in a month at now at all. You know, it's like six months in advance, no no less. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's so funny that I was able to just call and I had you know you got to really like you have to work to get a show now, right. Um, yeah, and so um, is just yeah. You're oh, you're 14. You're in a band, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> you're 14. Yeah, wild. So and by the way, that Green Day show was unbelievable to see for as a well, as a as a child. Well, so how did you even hear of them? Because this was like '93 Green Day. That that's like yes, it was Kerplunk. Kerplunk. It was on the yeah, it was Kerplunk had just come out. Um, there's we had so Alan's friend from Wisconsin, this dude named Pete. This guy is kind of like a guiding light in 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 Alan's musical life and in mine as well by um, guilty by association. Um, this dude was super into music, that certain variety of pop punk, and he would just tell Alan about bands, and and Alan would would tell me about them. Um, but I was. 
I would take everything this dude said because I had never really met this guy at the time. Alan would just mm-hmm. be like, Pete told me about, 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 he says we should listen to green day. And I remember going to plan nine, we jumped out of the car and we would like run into plan nine and see who could get to the tapes first to buy it. Cause we knew that they would, in which they only had one copy of Capone. Oh and I had a better idea of, I guess, alphabetical order than Alan did. And I was able to get to the G's quicker. <laughs> and, and I got it. We did this a lot with, with stuff. Like Pete would tell us about things and, and, and we would get rides to plan nine. And it was like, it was kind of a race to see who could find this, this tape for us. Cause they didn't all, they weren't always there, but yeah, but Green Day Kerplunk was definitely there. I got it before Alan did. And, and he was so mad at me. He told me that I had to, I couldn't listen to it first. He had to listen to it first and dub it. And then he would let me have it back that night. And I remember, I remember doing it. Yeah. I remember giving it to him on the way home. He recorded it. And then I walked over to his house that night and got the tape back so I could listen to it. And I remember asking him like, how is it, man? And he's like, I don't know. I haven't really listened to it yet. I just, it was, it was just, you know, it was high speed dubbing, you know? So he couldn't really like, he had no idea what what it sounded like. And then, and then I got it and got home and put it in. And, you know, not having any idea of what, like, Green Day was supposed to sound like. Just this dude was like, you should buy the Green Day tape. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, 2,000 light years away coming on. And, of course, the very first thing in my brain was, like, this guy sounds English. Like, that's what I thought Billy Joe sounded like, you know. I thought yeah. he sounded English. Like, because I, I, I had no – there was I had no idea what – the story was with them and what they were going to be like and what they were. That whole thing hadn't really been stylized yet. Like now that you're saying that, like, I, I remember like thinking that too, when I was a kid and like, I think now, like there's just so many bands that kind of sing kind of maybe like that or something yes. that like, it doesn't sound right. like that anymore. Right. You know, anything, like our, it's funny. Anything that was like slightly exotic was English. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like if he doesn't sound like a southern dude or some hair metal guy, you're like, oh, I guess it's just English. Um, yeah, which is which is great. It's like yeah, exotic just means he's, he's English. Because and then you know and then and then you again you have this idea in your head that that like punk rock is the Sex Pistols, right? So so that's English. But if you're 14 and you hear Billy Joe singing for the first time, it 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 there is like this this weird, you know, like strange accent thing happening. But the the weird thing was when I like started writing lookout records and getting catalogs and ordering just random tapes from their archive. And, you know, then I get, you know, Operation Ivy, you know, hectic energy and Jesse sounds crazy to a 14 year old. You're like, what is this yeah. dude's voice? And I'm like, what yeah. is in the water in San Francisco that makes these guys all sound like this? Like I did not. Right. And then, yeah. And then, and then, and then if you hear Crimshrine, you know, you're like, what is oh, happening to these people's voices? <laughs> it just like blows. You know, I'm like, when I sing, I don't sound like this at all. Like, how do I, what is going on with these people? Um, so very, it's very like interesting. volume maybe? Like, like, the, yeah. you know, like, I've tried to figure that out. Like, and I think it's like really like them trying to be able to hear, like just years of like trying to hear their voice in a yeah. shitty room, maybe through yeah. a guitar amplifier. <laughs> sure. And these are all things we take for granted now. Like we've been listening to, you know, Hectic Energy now for, you know, for, for 40 years, 
you know, but like the first time you, you hear it, you know, at that point it had been out for like, you know, five years, eight, eight, nine, 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 it had been out for three years. Right. So I got yeah. the first time I heard opera time, it was a three year old record. Um, but you know, you have like, you, you don't have any idea what it's going to sound like and knowledge, you know, starts off with knowledge. Right. And his voice kicks right in at the very beginning of the yeah. song. And it's just like, you hear Jesse Michaels for the first time. It's like, I know things are getting tougher. And you're like, this guy's voice is wild. Yeah, <laughs> I was sure. I had no idea what this was gonna sound like, and this is crazy. I guess he's English, right? I know y'all ended up starting playing at like Saint Edwards. So, like, how did y'all get into doing anything with like Saint Edwards and all that? Yeah, so um, I was at the mall. <laughs> I was at Chesterfield Town Center. Yeah, Woo! I was at Chesterfield Town Center in the food court. Oh yeah, <laughs> and with the palm trees. With the palm trees. And where I spent, you know, a lot of time in my in my high school days, high school years at the the food court at Chesapeake Town Center. I, I don't know that fa- that factored so heavily into my my suburban teenage life. <laughs> right, yeah, eating pizza in the food court. Why is that such a like a a thing that we did all the time? It's so hilarious. It's so weird. So. Um, and there, you know, at the time, you know, there's no, there's, you know, in the early nineties, there's no, he- there's no focus on like local business or anything. Right. It's just like malls are a thing and you go to the mall. So we were at the food court <laughs> one day and I am having a, a block as to like what band was there, but, but somebody, somehow someone was with me and said that there was a place called St. Edwards and they had a battle of the bands and this guy had a piece of paper that had the number on it, and he and he gave it to me. He said, "Call this number, and and you can probably play in one of these battle of the bands." But I, you know, I called the number, and that's the first time I met George over the phone, George Martin, and um and and they still had um space, and and he said we could play. I believe it wasn't there an entrance fee. Didn't he have to pay like thirty five bucks? I remember we had to like go down there and like sell out a bunch of freaking paperwork and like you actually had to go into like a church office. Like maybe this was like the first time we ever did it because I don't think we did it again. But like it kind of like you had to like sell out all this stuff and like it was like really formal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was was like you're signing up for like tennis lessons. We definitely (laughs) had to fill out something eventually. And I I swear there was money involved. Like you had to pay to to play it. Because maybe that's where did they have a prize for if you won maybe that's where the prize yes. came from i don't yeah, i don't know there was a prize um and also and, looking back i know he was pushing he he had to really stick his neck out to even have those things exist and so i think it might have been a thing like well what if no one shows up like so it was like maybe the band's paying to right. play would have just covered the event or something right yeah it what it's such a such an interesting thing that that that, that once he started doing those that they started to become a thing where he kept doing these battle of the bands. And then there started to be shows there. He became this in spite of himself, he became kind of like this venue owner or at least yeah. venue liaison for these kids in the suburbs doing punk shows. Like, wow. How, why? I'm sure he was like, well, how, why am I? And you think about like he, that, you know, he went home at night after these shows happened you know, we were all stoked to play. You know, what did he get out of it? He went home and he's like, all right, I booked this show for, you know, $500 fine and fun size today. You know, I just I can't imagine, like, I just can't He told me one time his whole angle and what it was was, like, he wanted us doing something better than what we could be doing. 
Right. That's really sweet. You know what I mean? Like, like it was yeah. like, and I guess coming from that like Christian angle, you know, like he doesn't want us to get into bad shit or whatever. So a bunch of supervised kids, you know, and they're hanging out like it, you know, it's better than like, you know, at their friend's house, like being like, let's raid the liquor cabinet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it, and by kind of accident, he ended up like giving a venue for like a lot of people to actually like discover independent music and a lot of bands to like actually like play their first shows and shit. Like looking back, it's kind of fucking amazing, you know? It's so amazing. Uh, the way the way that was able to come together, there's no self awareness as a kid, and 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 there's there's no gratitude because the way kids' brains work is that they just they they don't under they they just everything is about them, right? I mean, like and right. I'm sure you're realizing this as a, as a parent. I don't have kids, so I don't know. You know this more than I do, but I just I'm looking back. Oh yeah, I there's can, definitely people's kids. There's definitely an age where it kind of like opens up a little more than that, but but yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I just kind of like, you know, you just, the way that you go about doing things is that, you know, everybody in the world is doing things for you and you don't have to thank them. I mean, I said thank you, but I, when I realized how much work it took to do a lot of those things, I, it's it's so nice that somebody like that was able to to help us all do the things we needed to do to to make this strange scene happen at, at this at this church. Um, and I definitely yeah. did not say thank you enough. And when I look back on it, you know, we, we owe that dude a lot of gra- a huge debt of gratitude for taking the time to do it. You know, um, I think about how I'm, how I'm spending my, you know, my Sunday afternoon slash evening, and it does not involve, you know, booking shows for a bunch of teenagers in a church cafeteria. I, I mean, I really think like from what I heard, he, he kind of was always like really advocating for that in the church. You know, they're pretty conservative. They they looked at it as a liability. I mean, now it's a Catholic like, church, even... man. Yeah, it's a yeah. Catholic church in Southside. Like, what? I'm sure. I don't, I, I, there's no way that I'm sure that would not even happen now because of insurance stuff. And like, yeah, you know, I mean that that just yeah. just right there. Like, I remember we would skate up there, and I don't know. Someone saw me like fall one time, and you know, skating like especially at that age, like when you're kind of learning to skate, like your falls are pretty yeah. brutal. Yeah, and they they said something to somebody, and they're like, you know, <laughs> like like I don't know if we can keep having people skate here. Kids are like, you know, this is like a liability. So yeah. the idea of doing a show, especially like that, was around the time that like moshing was becoming <laughs> a thing that like they'd have a news special on. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, nowadays moshing. that's so normalized, but back then <laughs> it was like really scary and especially back then like to even just to you know to church like just people wearing black shirts was scary to them you know like i remember my mom being like oh no it's it's black (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and you put a misfit skull on that black shirt and it's like people are terrified oh my god yeah like yeah fucking be sacrificing fucking animals or some shit yeah exactly you know yeah that's for sure what they always thought was happening especially if you are you know in the suburbs and you're a Catholic church that had yeah. no clue what they were getting into. And people got injured, you know, it's like people did get injured at them. I remember, I remember our, our you know, my, my friend Chelsea was, was like hit in the face real hard by a spike in her ear and, and was definitely, definitely had to go to the hospital after one of those fun size shows at St. Edwards. Oh yeah. Um, I remember playing them and every time, like the first maybe four or five shows we played because we'd be on the floor or whatever on those battle of the bands. Yeah. yeah. 
every time I would get the mic hit into my teeth, my mouth, probably sure. at least five times per show. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I was bleeding yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, so playing that, like, what was that like for y'all? Had y'all played other clubs before that? Y'all, well, y'all um, played at Twisters probably before that. At that point, we had played Twisters a couple times, and this guy Chris, who was who was singing for us, went off to college, and we became a three piece. I started singing. We went to a studio to record. Uh, four songs, um, which became our, like our first demo or whatever, or, you know, our first tape. And interesting, interestingly enough, I, uh, I I do this fun Clash cover band sometimes, and we played a show <clears throat> last night, and the guitar player from that band is Ricky Tubb, who was the engineer for that <laughs> fun size tape. Uh, tape oh, wow. Were y'all guys yeah, yeah. Were recording in his house, or was uh, it a proper recorded studio? it on... It was called Charlton Studios. And yeah, that was, we actually recorded there. Yeah, for guitar works, right? Exactly. And it was, right. and that was only because you know you would you I I called them because it it you know I was buying a pack of bass strings and there was a sign that said like you know recording studio, so I you know I I called it and then I found out that that Ricky was recording there and I knew Ricky already because he was dating a girl from my neighborhood coincidentally very strange and so uh, so we asked him if he would if he would record our first tape so um we we recorded this tape and we, and then we played um the battle of the bands like a couple months after we had started selling the tape like at school <laughs> and then a couple at sound hole we had dropped off and that was the first time i had ever played a show where like people sang along and like knew the words and that oh, blew yeah. my mind. Um, the first, that was the very first, because we had never had recorded music. And just seeing that happen for the first time was the most surreal thing. Um, that, that, that's like the, the connection that you realize that you're like achieving by playing a song that you wrote and someone singing it. Again, something eventually you, you, you kind of, you know, take for granted as, you're, as you've been playing music for 30 years or whatever. But the first time it happens, it is mesmerizing and um, having it happen at that age. Cause like, yeah, exactly. you can't even like decide what you're doing that night really at that age. Like right. your parents, yeah. all that, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. but the yes. fact and that this, you're actually the pen to paper, like, and then it's coming out of other people's mouths. Like that's yes. fucking yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. I know. So we're talking at that point, it's like, well, I'm, I'm freshly 15 years old. So getting, getting that yeah as a 15 year old kid writing a song and having people sing along to it and stuff was 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 awesome i highly recommend any 15 year old kid to have that same thing happen to them it will sadly change your life for the worse (laughs) were you pretty much hooked at that point once that happened yeah there was it was just like you know you were either you know you were either a jock or for me, it was like sports or music. It was one or the other. And I knew I wasn't, I wasn't sports. I, I knew it was, it, there was only time for one or the other thing in my life, in my mind, if I was, you know, looking around at what high school was. And so for me, it was like, there was music was, it was never, there was never a question, you know, it's great in the sense that when you're, when you're a kid, you just do things. The thing we're the kind of thing we we're talking about earlier, where there's not a lot of self-awareness, you know, you just do them. Yeah. Like, I just, I just realized that like my, you know, like a, a, a bass guitar, 
in my hand was was what was what was what felt best and most natural and that was just what was going to keep happening hell yeah when did you first start like touring and like yeah so the, so that so then what you have to do is you know you have a band and you and you play shows around town and and you and you put a tape together and then there has to be a liaison for like your first out of town show right and that for me right. was swank you know i heard swank off of that world records seven inch that they had like four whirly bird was on was one was one band on it and swank was another band and there were two other bands i think jolly mortals was one maybe and there was another so four yes, songs seven yes. inch yeah it was a four song seven inch i heard the swank song loved it it was a number in the swank record of course i called the number uh tony weinbender answered tony weinbender as, as we all know now is the, the man who is single-handedly in charge of booking gainesville fest that is his job now. He is the man. Um, but at the time, you know, he lived in Roanoke, and I called him on the phone. <laughs> and I was like, I love Swank, or I love this song. When are you playing in town again? And then he said, actually, we have a show, you know, next weekend at this this house show somewhere downtown. And I went, and we met, and <clears throat> and I and I, you know, told him, you know, we play shows. I have a band. I would love to play with you. And he said, cool. Like, well, you should come to, to Roanoke and play with us. And and that was like, you know, the, the, the show swap, you know, which we didn't know that there was like a thing that people did. It was just kind of like, like, you should play with us. You should play with us. Okay, let's do it. And then you play your first show out of town. So, you know, you, you drive three hours away and play a show to like different people. And then that's when your head it starts clicking in your head. They're like, you know, we could play other towns. This is crazy. And then, then it just starts. But the, um, the way that we were able to book our first tour was I was a senior in high school and the summer was coming up and nothing made more sense than for us to, to try to try to do our, our first tour. It seemed like a, a, a viable thing. And the only person in town that I knew to talk to about it was, was Tim Barry. And he was so accommodating. I went over to Tim's house and I told him what I wanted to do and he just, we sat down and like, we, we did an itinerary. I, I told him like, we want to go out for these two weeks. And he's like, okay, this is, this is what we've done. And this is what you could do. And dude gave me numbers for like every town. And that's how I booked my first tour. I mean, Tim could not have been more helpful. And Tim isn't a guy that like, I, I know super well. I wouldn't even know. I actually was at Belle Isle on a run. <laughs> I was jogging like two weeks ago, ran past him. I don't think he even knew who I was, but it, it speaks volumes for the, for the kind of dude he, he is. I mean, he, he was very, very willing and helpful to, to spend time this, this day kind of like just routing out, you know, the very first fun size tour and that, and he, you know, using his suggestion for where to play and, and routing and, and what we, what we would do and how we would do it he you know he gave me this gave me the ball and I, like i ran for it in fact i never called him after that to ask him for any more help um i i just he, he it was the kind of thing where he was like he knew exactly like you need to do this you need these numbers this is what you need it's like go for it set it up you oh, know yeah. and then i doggedly pursued you know everybody that he he got me in touch with and then those people obviously like were annoyed and gave me other people's numbers and the, you know, and then I called those people forever and annoyed them. And, you know, and that, and then that's, and that, and the first fun size tour happened, you know, the day after I graduated high school, 
everybody else went on beach week and, and, and fun size did get, you know, went on our first tour. What um, was that, that was, like? Uh, it was, it was, it was crazy because it was, it was, we had, we, everything, everything went wrong that could go wrong in your first tour. Our van <laughs> transmission broke, broke down. Yeah. We were in Gainesville coincidentally and on our way there to play, play a show and the van, you know, totally broke down on the way. And, um, we had to stay there for two days while our transmission got fixed. We had to borrow money to fix it. Cause it was like 700 bucks. And you know, you, I was 17, you know, they, I, you know, I had like $700, like what? That's, That's like insane. fucking rent, dude. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. I mean, I was like, how am I yeah. going to pay $700 and nobody else in the band. We, we never at the, you know, at the time, like our, our parents, allowed us to go do this but that was it like we had no support there was never right no one ever lended us any money for merch or you know this was all stuff that 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 we had to put together ourselves um the, you know our parents certainly had no clue why we were doing what we were doing they were just kind of out of the loop enough to let us do do what we were doing but if they knew what was going on there's no way they would have let us do this I mean, yeah definitely not i think of you know, if you think of your kid, you know, being 17 and driving around, you know, dr- driving a lot on the road, yeah. the highway's a highway's a scary place, man. And like, you're gonna let your kid, you know, go out on the road for two weeks, you know? And, and this is wild. before cell. I mean, there's like way before cell phones. Before, so, yeah. So everything bad happened on that tour. You know, we every, the van broke down. Um, you know, it was. You know, we didn't have any AC in the van, and we were in Florida in the summer. I mean, oh my just God. like, yeah. I mean, I don't even. Look, I look back on it. I'm like, how do we eat? You know, what do we do? How do like what happens? It's 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 awesome. It's so cool. You just you just you just do it. You know. I mean, like you just. And I again, I I should find every single person that that booked us helped us book shows on that tour and just like give them a big wet kiss. Cause I'm so happy that they helped us out and let us do that. And Tim, I should have given him a big sweaty hug when I saw him two weeks ago, but, um, but yeah, he un, un, unwittingly kind of like set my like musical ship out to sea. And, and when he, when he showed me how to route my first tour, but Amazing. once you do it, yeah, you do it once and you start meeting people and then you start, you get numbers and then you just stay in touch and you, you keep, doing it and you and they and they call you and you call them and and then it's like okay this is you know the first one was under our under our belt and it was there was never really a a cognizant decision where it's like um okay so we're a touring band now it's like you just kind of think like next next vacation we tour we play another tour and and that's when i set up you know the next one um and the next one and the next one wow yeah, that's amazing. And you know, a lot of that trades on like what you're talking about with Tim and all that. It's a lot of folks actually kind of like, you know, helping each other out. I mean, that happens in like the larger world too, but it's a little more rare. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's kind of like done with the intention that usually that stuff's been given to them too. And so like, like it's kind of like passed on. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I, I agree. Um, I have to say that I never, I never was able to do any type of like <laughs> mentoring like Tim did for me to any other band. Um, it never, it never, it never seemed to have really come up, but um, I wish I, I wish I, it would have been nice to have that opportunity. Um, I was, I think I was too busy just 
trying to do things for fun size. Um, but also Avail was at that point, they were like, they were big enough to where if you had a question about how to do something that you didn't know what you were doing, they would be the band to go to, you know? They, well, I think they it just, also shifted to like, because what you're talking about right there, like right after that, probably book your own fucking life came out. Right. So that had just start. I, you, you had just started to see that in maximum rock and roll that around that time you had just that, that, yeah, that thing had just started to be advertised as a thing. We're talking like 90, 96. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, you know, I think what, what you actually caught there was like the tail end of like, I mean, almost kind of the same way that like, tattooing used to work and and that like it was like mm-hmm. or even audio engineering it, it was like something that was like you didn't really talk about it and you passed it on to someone that you were kind of mentoring right. um and once everything kind of exploded around 96 like a lot of tools just kind of went directly i think into people's hands um Right. Just because of how much everything was was I mean it was way easier to get records it was way easier to get um, I mean, there was a lot more variety being put out. Like, I mean, just so many bands were all of a sudden being put out and all this stuff. So with that, you know, this huge touring thing um, starts starts occurring too. Like, I can't imagine there were that many, like percentage-wise, when y'all went on your first tour, that many independent bands. There was probably like five times as many, you know, two years later. Like yeah, touring. for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, it, it, I mean, it, it just... I think that we were, you know, we were just at the beginning of this wave of, of, of people, you know, starting like punk rock and pop punk bands and, and, you know, whatever, like it just started, it was getting ready to explode heavily. Um, so we were, I think we were maybe like, you know, just like a year ahead of, of that. Yeah. If y'all were a year later, it would have been completely fucking different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Y'all ended up doing that band for a while. Um, but then splitting up, why, why splitting? It's real stupid. You know, when I, when I look back on it, it, what we very much needed, we needed somebody that, that kind of like could give us a little perspective and, 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 and kind of guide us and help us. We, we felt that, that when I look back on it, the, the, the feeling I get is that we were, we were like really kind of isolated. We, we didn't really have any direction at the time we kind of had hit a wall in terms of like, well, what do we do next? You know, we had already put out a couple records. We had already done a couple tours. Um, we did our, we had, we did our first U S run. And then, you know, we came back from that and it's like, what do we, you know, like what happens next? And we didn't really know what we were going to end up doing next. It's just really stupid because our shows were getting bigger around town but at that point we had been a band for seven years it's so strange you know we had already been playing together since 1991 right and it's 1998 and and you know it's not like we had we had started the band like two years earlier you know we were like you know we knew we were getting on each other's nerves we were like 19 20 21 22 it's really the really interesting ages of like what do you do next as a, as a person in life? Oh, for sure. And your brain yeah, hasn't even and, become like an adult yet. Right. Like, like yeah, a mine 24 was, switch hadn't happened yes. yet. Yeah. Mine was light years behind everyone else's for sure. And, <laughs> and it, people, <laughs> and people, you know, in the, in the band were they were, they were grappling with a lot of like, you know, what do we do next with our life thing? 
and yeah, and college, some, no, what? Exactly right, and and everyone was still living with their parents, and then that was getting like they were starting to. It was like there was a kind of a strain on that so it, with their parents. There was a little pressure, you know, with them regarding like what they were doing and how they were going to do it, and oh, for sure. <laughs> and the idea, you know, it's funny because the idea is like, well, am I going to do this forever? And like, it's so funny. Why are you thinking about forever at the age twenty? You know, like. There's no, like, why not just keep thinking about, like, what am I going to do for the next six months? You know, it's just like, it's really, really funny that there's this, like, pressure on, like, well, forever. Like, forever is not a thing that a 20-year-old in a punk rock band should be thinking. That's just a sentiment that I keep well, in mind just now. That's with everything. I mean, like, I mean, I, I honestly think it might be because you're 20. And so, yeah. like, you don't actually know what time is yet. <laughs> I mean, like, like yeah. realistic, like, you haven't experienced a lot of it. But it's the same thing yeah. with, like, relationships. Like, motherfuckers, like, getting married, being like, yeah, well, you know, we'll do this forever around that forever. age. And it's, it's at like, 20, you're like, that's not how your brain is supposed to be working at 20. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even yeah, totally. the idea of, like, I'm going to choose a career at all, because that is a question yeah. that everyone is being yeah. asked. It's all happening at the same time, right? Yeah. People are like, yeah, what are you going to college for? What's your career going to be? You're like, well, I, you know, playing in this band sometimes. You're like, well, is that really what you want to do with your life? So that was like definitely registering. Parents were asking questions. You know, dudes were trying to figure out how to find ways to like live and tour and play and play in a band. And some people at that point had a couple of guys in the band hadn't hadn't really hadn't really registered that that it was going to like keep going. You know, we had done. Right. We had done just enough, like we had we had just enough inertia where where we I think that like the idea was that like we've done everything we can, we've gone on a national tour, we put out a couple records, um, we you know like that that's it, and and then the, it came what really broke everything down for the band was we got offered to do like five shows, Vinny because Fun Size was on um, Feel by Ramen the last record was on Food by Ramen, which was Vinny from Less Than Jake's label. He called me and asked us if we wanted to play these like four or five shows um, on this East Coast run. And it was with, and it would have been like a dream tour for, for fun size. It was Less Than Jake, all snuff discount. And Jesus fucking and, Christ, dude. I know, dude. Those were been like, and they were like, and I remember snuff calling everybody in the band. And I, yeah, snuff, snuff was like, all collectively one of our favorite bands and all was obviously within all yeah. been our favorite band forever. We had done a tour with discount less than Jake put out our record. Um, it would have just been insane and it was perfect for us. And I remember asking everybody in the band to do it. And there was pushback on people's like, I can't get off of work. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, this is done. Like if it's like, if the dudes are talking about, I, I can't get off of my, my really bad, stupid job to play these like yeah. three or four shows. And when I called Vinny back and told him like a couple of guys can't get out of work, he was like, you can't get out of work. Like, cause he, at that point, he was, his brain was at that point, they were, you know, they had put out their first major label record and they were not, they were a touring, they were a living touring, breathing band. And the idea of Vinny having to like work at that point was not, he was way beyond it. And he was, pretty mad that we would even consider ourselves like you know that working was a priority <laughs> for a couple guys in the band i mean honestly so i just remember you might quit your job for you know yeah. like 
because I remember hearing the tone, the timbre, the timbre of his voice was, was he just repeated my statement back to me as a question. You can't get off of work. And I was like, fuck, this is going to be a problem for this band. I can already tell that we, that it's getting to be difficult for us to play shows because everybody doesn't know what to do with their lives right now. And that was it. Yeah. And I was like, I just was like, we, I knew that that was going to be like a moment where we had to disband. This is where I say that we should have had somebody sit down with us, explain things to us better and tell us that like, there's no reason why you guys need to split up right now. Figure out a way to make this work. It's not that hard. Um, and you should make things work because this is worth fighting for. And that's what someone should have explained to us. Like put all this stuff aside whatever bickering you have and just like, let's then just keep working on this. We should have, we should have worked on it more. Um, that band could have done some more cool stuff and we had some momentum going at the time and, but you just never know in the moment. Um, but it's a big, big misgiving. I have that, that we didn't just work a little harder at keeping that thing together. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, on the other side of it is like if someone's like make, you know, I remember when people are making those choices, and you take them really personally, not like not you, but like like when your friend did that, like, yeah, you know, like I mean, because that was that whole thing of like, you know, you you come up in one of these scenes and and you start seeing people kind of like become like you know like kind of leave leave and like go do other stuff, and you know, it's a little different when you're a musician because it's also like now you have a vocation that's involved in it. You know, it's not like mm -hmm. you're just there as a fan or something. Um, right. But when you start seeing people choose, like, I'm going to go to work today instead of coming to play the show or practice it, it's it like all of a sudden you start realizing that there's going to be a lot less of us standing here on the, uh, the playing side <laughs> by the time this equation works itself out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. So, Obviously, you were on the playing side of it, um, and you mentioned River City High a second ago. So where do you go from there? Uh, I had been – yeah, so so Fun Size had our – we had our last show set up. I had already been um, approached by this dude, Curtis, about starting another project. It was crazy. It was like I remember we played our – Fun Size plays our last show – at Twisters and, and this dude Curtis meets me for the loadout and we load my 810 cab into his van so he could take it to his practice space. And it was very ceremonial. You know, it was, it was oh, really shit, like, dude. It, it was, yeah, it was like this bass amp is going to a new place. Um, like you were standing alone. Like you just, damn. That's yeah. The, cool. the, it was really interesting, you know. Like he met me, he met me for load, and and like yeah, and he was like, after you, after you play your, your, that show, we'll take your rig over my practice space. That was wild, and that was the first time that it ever happened to me. I never played in another band. I never played with other people. Curtis was looking to do something new, and and he knew that we were breaking up, and and he like jumped on it. And that was the dude that that he and I started playing together, and that's how River City High started. It's funny because Curtis was the um was the first for the river sea high rhythm guitarist <clears throat> and then uh you know mark joined up you know uh, like a couple months later when you know when we approached him because we needed you know we were interested in getting another guitar player and uh you know curtis will only last like a couple more months before before he realized that he was not trying to tour 
all year long either. <laughs> but so when you got into that, the, that was that was the goal is to like not not we, turn down Mark the show and I, again, like to be yeah, actually thanks, touring. Yes, yes. So thanks to uh, thanks to the work ethic that I had started with Fun Size and Mark's insanely rigorous work ethic, which he still um, undertakes with with everything that he does. Um, we decided that we did not want to be in a situation where we would turn anything down again. For people that don't know, yeah. this is Mark from Inquisition. Yes. Yeah. So, so ironically, the, you know, the first local show I go to, I end up being able to be in a band with a guitar player from that show when I start my next band. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Mark at that time had owned, he was um, like part owner of, of hole in the wall. So he was, he had like a restaurant career but he still had a desire to play music. And he's like, if I'm going to play music again, I need us to be you know, all in. In our minds, the secret to getting popular was touring. That was the only way yeah. we had to, we had to leave town. There was, you know, again, no, no internet. The only way to get known would, would be to hit the road for like many months out of the year. And at the time that was the only way to do it. Um, and it actually worked strangely enough. Um, you know, had yeah. had fun size done that like two years earlier, you know, it's terrifying to think about like how much bigger that band could have been because really at the time around like 1999, 2000, like if you just like toured for like, you know, six months out of the year and played different towns, you, you could get a decent following, you know, people paid attention to you. Right. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't saturated I mean, yet. It It was not. No, people still paid attention, and you were. St- it was still like an exciting thing to like to, you know, it, was, it could be a rarity in certain places to go see shows. Yeah. Now it's extremely saturated, um, sadly. Well, I mean, and that, I think that also had to do with like, you know, because I mean, Green Day definitely like, well, Nirvana kicked the door open, and then Green Day kicked the door open, and then fucking Blink One Eight Two just fucking blew the door off. Yep. <laughs> like once that happened, it was just like. Yeah, even the genre kind of like like opened up so much that you know, like all of a sudden you just had people that may have never even been exposed to that through you know their um, demographic things like really getting involved in it. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. how was that experience like actually doing these U.S. tours and, and like actually like putting in that work like? Uh, you know, it was really, it was, it, the time I had spent with fun size, it prepped me for, for what would, what would, what would come next. But, but I remember, I remember coming the last, like when, when fun size tours would, would start to come to an end. Um, I remember just being like depressed that they were going to, it was going to be over. I mean, I loved being in the van with my friends and and playing playing shows it really at the time it's like i thought it was like the best coolest thing i remember just like sleeping in the van and wanting to like be in the van and like i just really identified with this idea of like being on the road and playing and playing shows you know it was really helpful i didn't feel disconnected yet from 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 the world and i gotta say man i think it was really helpful to not have a cell phone because then you can totally immerse yourself. I, those fun size things was like, I, I just like, when we left town, I was just like, this is all I'm doing. I'm doing just this. And like, I'm leaving, you know, what I'm leaving behind, I'm not going to be carrying that with me. I'm just right. touring right now. 
And I took it so seriously. I was very, very immersed in the experience. It was just like, this is my day. This is what I do. And I really identified with it. And so that helped out when, when River City High started. I graduated from college and we went on tour for four months. I mean, I was ready, you know, and everything that Mark and I thought touring would do initially worked for us. We did get our, the record deal that we wanted. You know, we did get these bigger shows and we opened for these bigger bands and we were just like out all the time. And we got this reputation for being like very, very roadworthy. And, and all these really good shows fell into our lap. And we, at the very beginning, it worked very well for us. Um, so it, it was, it was great. It was, it was, we, it was a realization of everything that I wanted to happen earlier. And I was kind of sad that, that it didn't happen with fun size. I remember, I remember when River City High opened for Blink-182 and I'm, I'm playing a, a, a stadium and I remember going out on stage, um, for the first song. And the first thing that I actually thought was like, it's too bad that this, like, that I'm not here with the fun size guys, because that would have been really cool. But at the same time, I was like so stoked that River City High was able to to finally do what I thought we were capable of, which was play in front of 10,000 people and do really well. And that yeah. was a good show. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also like, I mean, I mean, you guys were coming like comparatively to Blink, like um, y'all had that history that came kind of from that same time. I mean, I know they changed members a lot, but. Shit, I remember Langdon was at practice one time, our first guitarist, and he was, like, yeah. trading stickers. And I remember they had, like, Golden Llama stickers on their fucking shit, and we had, like, Blink so stickers, awesome. like, before, yeah. like, 182, you know? So they had that, that history of, like, that same time area. And so that would have been fucking cool to have, like, two bands on that stage that had that same history, you know, mm-hmm. of, like, going through right. punk rock and all that shit. Correct, um, yeah. Yeah, and and stylistically, like uh, y'all were like a little more rock than like Fun Size was pretty. I mean, it was poppy, but it was definitely like punk, and and like River uh, River City High was more rock ish, but it was still. I mean, it's a bunch of punk dudes <laughs> playing like rock, sure. so I mean, it still has that influence sure. on it. Um, yeah, exactly. How are you yeah. finding that like artistically different than like fun size? Well, there was a it, it, there was a concerted effort at that point to like move forward in terms of like what we were listening to and the music that we were writing. Um, I remember at that point I had kind of like eschewed all the pop punk that I had that I was kind of raised on because right. I was just I had just been opened up to a whole new world of music that I had I had at one point just not really paid attention to. You know, Thin Lizzy and the Replacements were not bands that I listened to when I was into Big Drill Car and the Doughboys and Screeching Wheel. Right. You know, right. that they were not they were not bands that I that I that I ever had paid had, had followed. So it really made sense for me and Mark was really good about that. You know, Mark was not the world's biggest pop punk fan. He likes some of it. You know, he likes the Descendants enough, and, but he, right. he he's he he's annoyed with with like basic pop punk more so than I am. I mean, he he really dislikes what he considers bad pop punk, which I'm like totally fine with. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> I love it. He just um, needs more complexity or something. Yeah, he just like you know, Mark's a he's a he's a he's just a 
it's just not his thing. You know, he, he wants it to be a little more creative. And I don't blame him. I think everybody, he's probably right. Um, well, I mean, even when they were uh, doing their thing with Inquisition, it was like not the same thing as, like, they really had a very unique sound. I mean, the guitar, his guitar parts are fucking crazy. Yes. Yeah, yeah he's very, yeah, he, he, a dude, a dude who's never, he has absolutely zero musical training whatsoever. I mean, so he, he kind of approaches it from a, from a, from a, as an outsider. Um, and he's very opinionated, which is awesome about Mark. And so he, oh, yeah. he, he goes into things kind of working with the tools that, that, that he has. Um, and he'll tell you that he's like a, he's a limited player, but he could do a lot with what his limitations were. But, um, you, you know, with, with his help, you know, I was, or with his like just influence in terms of just listening to different stuff, there was definitely this feeling of like, it's time to move ahead and, and, and listen to different things that I haven't listened to and, and see what's out there. I mean, I, I never spent time with, with Neil Young and I never spent time with Joni Mitchell and Nick Drake. And these things were not things that I, that were at Soundhole, Right. So, right. You know, it was like, so I, you know, in my teens, it was, it was all pop punk. And then, you know, and, and then, you know, my twenties roll around and it's like, okay, so what have I been missing? You know, you know, and then you find out like there's, there's a lot. I mean, I, I totally, there was a giant gap in my like musical upbringing. I went from, you know, fifties rock and roll to Led Zeppelin to pop punk. And there was just a huge hole and it was up to me to start, it was up to me to start filling that in and it happened. And then it was, there was some things I got very obsessed with um, that I just, you know, didn't, I had never really heard. And it was all, you know, I would say that, you know, Thin Lizzy and the the replacements were like those two of those bands that just like, you know, that I, I had completely missed. Well, it's so interesting because the replacements, I mean, I know so many punk bands that like, are totally influenced by them. Yes, very much. A lot of bands were influenced by them, but you you almost didn't even know that the influence was there or yeah. or that there was no real way to like, you know, that getting those records just didn't seem like a, a, a priority for, for folks. And it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, Greg from Soundhole tried to play me, please to meet me, the replacements record. Alex Chilton, I liked enough, but you know, the record starts with IOU and it's kind of like a, you know, a raucous rock and roll song. And I was like, this is not right. I thought that, you know, I was like, you know, cause I loved early Goo Goo Dolls. And I was like, this does not sound like what the, cause everybody was like the Goo Goo Dolls are a replacement cover band. So I hear birth, you know, I hear IOU and I'm like, this is, this is not the Goo Goo Dolls. And then Alex Chilton comes on. And I'm like, okay, I hear like, I can hear this is, and then, and then after, after Alex Chilton, there's, um, you know, I don't know. And there's a saxophone solo and I don't know. And I was like, what? Fuck this. Yeah. You know, like I'm, uh, this record sucks. And I was just, you know, I was like 16 and Greg from Soundhole tells me I'm going to like this. And I'm like, he is wrong. I do not like this. You know, oh fast forward to like three, you know, uh, you know, four years later and, and I'm, and I, and I'm able to like finally get the whole thing, you know? Right. Um, and the whole thing makes a lot more sense to me. It, it requires a certain articulation that just isn't there when you're a kid. You know what I mean? Like yep. things need to be more black and white and yes. like kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. And I miss, like, I miss the idea. I really, really, in, in a lot of ways, the structured conformity of, of a teenage punk rocker is, is 
the only way this is wrong to say for a lot of people, but for me, it was, it's the, it was the only way that I was going to be able to like to become a punk kid. I wasn't going to, I had to just say, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. I hate this. So I could only, I could open myself up fully to this like one genre of music. It's extremely restrictive yeah. and it doesn't, and it's that whole thing where, where it's that classic, classic thing where people like, if you want to, you know, the South Park goth kid thing where it's like, you, you have to basically do what we're telling you to do to, to, to join our, our club. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this correctly. I, it's, it's just, but it's the, the you know, punk rock is supposed to exactly be like all about, you know, know, yeah. Opening your mind up, but it's like, you can only open your mind if you do exactly what we say. Um, well, and I think and, there was something more specific to our generation with that too, because yeah, like I, I know people that were like going to like, kind of like, second wave punk stuff and and there was still a lot of people doing that shit that was like really really weird yeah. that didn't fit like these like kind of boxes and then like yeah. around like third and fourth wave like it got really boxed it got really uniform like yeah um and and now it's just kind of like exploded like a fucking supernova and like i think kids nowadays are just they're just picking from every genre there's every genre. but also we had every, to protect yeah. community like i yeah. think that's the other exactly. thing about it is like a lot of that i think comes from you know protecting this community wherein you trade like hey call this guy to set up a show and and there's this kind of like undercurrent of like information being flowed but it's at the expense of bit, uh, more stuff on our plate. If that makes sense, it makes plenty of sense. That's exactly what I was, what I would have, would have said. Um, you can't be fifteen, or at least I don't know. I couldn't be fifteen and like everything, and then try to write music. You know, I had to be like, I had to listen oh, yeah. to one genre of music very heavily, so I could regurgitate that style of music and start that kind of band. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just too, too much work to like too much stuff at that age. So right. much easier to just like, I hate this. I hate this. This sucks. This is great. This is pop punk. I love it. You know, like that was just, and, and man, hats off to, to people who are like a lot more worldly at that young age and are able to like absorb a lot. Now, now, I mean, the thing is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not giving myself enough credit in a lot of ways. Cause I did, you know, I, I was always a big, like I said, I was always a big Beatles fan. Um, I got a lot of shit from all the fun side guys for, for, for loving, you know, for, for being the, like this, like buddy Holly fanatic, you know, or Alan making right. fun of me constantly, you know, um, <laughs> for that. So, so I had, so you, I brought some things to the table in terms of like musical variety. Um, but there was a while there where I, I, I was very restricted, you know, i.e. the replacements made no sense to me yet. But also I think that might've, that restriction, I think, because I'm, I'm thinking about also like someone that might have just gotten into metal or something like that and, and had that right. experience of music. It, there's something probably about punk that it, it connected with you in a way that lets you knew that like, hey, I can write songs. Hey, mm -hmm. I can do this. And mm -hmm. if you'd been a little different, it might have been like fucking hearing Megadeth that did that or or right. replacement, you know, but it was like something that connected. And then once you had that door open, then you're like, oh, shit. I could kind of write any song I want to write. What kind right, of song yeah. do I want to write? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so you said that the first part of that band, things were going fucking wonderfully, as if the second part of the band, it wasn't so much. So 
So what yeah, we, that? we just, uh, man, it's, it's just like our idea the entire time was that like, we were just going to tour a lot. The idea was that we wanted like a, a you know, a, a record deal. All our friends around us that we've been opening for were getting huge. They were all starting to have like giant records and you know, we, I guess our idea was like, well, we are going to also. Um, and when we, when we got our major label record deal, we were not a big enough band to kind of influence the terms. And we really, really got like chewed up and spit out by the experience. Oh shit. And, and it's such a bummer because we were not the first band to have this happen to us. There were, there were, there were many examples in the, in the indie scene of, of, bands getting signed to major labels and just having their careers like stalled and basically ended because of it. Steve Albini, you know, totally talks about it. Um, right. His whole thing is about how you're just not, it's just not going to work. If you're, you know, the things that don't work and, and how it's your, it, everything is stacked against you if you sign to a major label, but you think, you know, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm going to be the one, right. This is going to, it's, I'm going to be, right. yeah. And it, and it, and it was, and I should have, I should have known that it was, it was not going to be, uh, that it was, the, it was going to be the same way, you know, um, Ian McKay, there was an interview with him and, and he said, um, if he said, if I was in a band where I said, somebody do all my business for me, and then someone's going to go out there and make a lot of mistakes. And one day I'm going to wake up and be a fake hollow band. That means nothing to anybody and not even to myself. And I should have thought more about something like that. You know, like, like you give up all this control and then, and then you're left with this, like, yeah, this like fake hollow band. and River City signs this major label. Um, we go through all this stuff about like getting producers. We record this record. It's, it, was, it was like a, it was a very difficult experience. Um, and then the label went under and we had nothing to show for it. And our band was like kind of torn apart. You know, we'd gone and through they the, the record and they owned the record. They owned the record and they weren't going to release it. And we were just like, it was like, what have we been, what have we, we put our entire lives into this and it, and it, and, it, and we were not a big enough band to like survive the yeah. fallout from that sadly um and, and and there were like all kinds of like fractures in like the fabric of of the band it was like this careful what you wish for thing we worked very very hard to get this like you know the the, the our dreams fulfilled and then and then it didn't it did not work out for us the the day that we were dri we were driving to play a show in LA in Hollywood when we got the call that the label was done, you know, and it was just like this is great. We'd finished recording our record, which took months to do, months, mind you, which is hilarious when you think about it. Right? <laughs> um, you know, it took us months to do this this record. We got through the whole experience with this crazy producer, and then. And then who we, we, we should not have even picked to do our record. We, we, we went, we were way over our head with this guy. We should have gone with somebody else completely. And then, you know, we're on our way to play basically for folks at the label and, you know, whoever they were going to bring to the show. And we get the call on the way to the show that the label doesn't exist. And then, and then you, you, I was like, that's not true. There's no way. MCA did not go under. And I called, somebody from the label you know and immediately get this like you know this 
recorded statement that said, you know, you've reached a non-working number at Universal Music Group. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> the label's done. And we had been, and, and the first thing that came to my mind was that we had been like using this credit card for like months and with the idea that we were going to get paid back, you know, like we had been buying, oh things, like, my guitar, God. you know, guitars. And these are things like guitar strings. We weren't like lavishly living. We were four dudes living in a stinky van. We were just paying for guitar strings every once in a while, a hotel room when, when that was like the last ditch thing. You know, hotel rooms, guitar strings, van repairs, lots of van repairs. Our van was breaking down all the time. And the idea was like the label will pay it back. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're like $15,000 deep in, in credit card debt and you get the call Holy that your label's done. And you're like, oh no, I have this credit card bill. It's in my name. What do I do? <laughs> um, and that was just one of many problems that we had to, we had to stare down, you know. Well, let me it ask you like a structural right. thing. Yeah. Were y'all a company at that point? Like, were you able yeah. to like, so yeah, were you we able were to, like bankrupt for the company in order to, yeah. So in order to, 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 you know, to, to get the money and that the label funded us or whatever, we were, uh, we were an LLC and, um, and, um, we had a business manager, um, <clears throat> and you know, so that person, one thing that person did do was get us all out of IRS debt, which was, which was interesting. Um, cause you know, oh, of course we hadn't, we hadn't, we hadn't paid taxes in years. Um, so that was, that was helpful. We were able to get back to zero in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, so that was Holy the one good thing that, business, that was the one good thing that business manager did was, was, um, you know, get us back to zero. But after that, uh, everything, it was just a giant waste of money. Um, everything was just horribly planned out. Because again, we were just this this band that wasn't big enough to reap all the benefits. We we just kind of like we 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 were just existing on on these like kind of like scraps that everybody could could allow for a band our size to have. You know, we had a business manager, but we weren't making a ton of money. You know, we got this initial advance from from the label, but you know we, that just went to to keeping us alive when we were recording a record and not touring for months and months and months, you know, right. Stationary. It's basically just offsetting y'all not working and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. God damn, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rough, I it, was, it was super rough. Imagine. I I've got a list imagine. of things I would do differently. And, and I, I know, I know like there's like three or four things that I'm like, this would have changed had I done this. And I, and I know that people are like, you can't think about life like that. And it's like, okay, I know that you can't, but I sure do. <laughs> well, I mean, it's helpful in that, like, if you find yourself in that situation and, and, and it's similar, like, you can think about the same kind of, like, choices. You know what I mean? Like, there's probably elemental things about these situations that, you know, you would do differently now. And it's probably helped you probably tremendously in some of these lessons. I mean, Jesus Christ, like exactly. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't. <laughs> it's, you know, talking about this stuff is always, it's always wild because <clears throat> it's been, it's been a long time. And um, I'm, I, I, I have to say that I'm not entirely like, I know time heals wounds, but I'm still like, I'm, I'm, there's still a couple things I'm still super upset about. Um, yeah, I haven't really got, gotten over a couple of them. You know, it makes me really just annoyed is the best way to put it. You're like, oh, God. there's like there were a couple really cool things that we should have 
we should have that were like we should have just taken advantage of that we that would just passed passed over us. But at that point, you know, I'm 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 complaining about how you know which once has had someone sit us down and tell us what to do. You know, River City High had a manager. You know, we had people who were supposed to help us, but you know, I think that they were. They were shocked that they label one under two. <laughs> they weren't expecting that. Well, I mean, that. what year was it? Um, 2003. Oh, God. That's like in the middle of fucking like Kaza and fucking – Yep. Or, or like yeah. all the MP3 downloading shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the restructuring had begun, right? Like the – yeah, the labels had started consolidating and, and others had started going out of business. And, and, that, and that is when it really started – you know, that was the – the end of the, um, you know, the boy band, the boy band money. Well, and, and the end of the fucking record stores. Cause I mean, that was like, exactly. yeah. wasn't tower closing around that time. Cause I remember I was working as an engineer and I, I, you know, we, every once in a while we get like a punk record that would actually get in distro and like, you'd be able to go up to tower and get it. And then like, I think right around that time, maybe they, cl- maybe they closed the Richmond one, I think. Um, and it was just like, all of a sudden you realize like, Oh, we're in a different fucking landscape. Like, you yeah. look on your fucking computer now. I know in the studio side of it, like, we were feeling it because for years, like, you could run these, like, middle-level places like Montana, that's where I was working, or mm-hmm. um, Charlton, or mm-hmm. Glass Hand, or something like that. And people could literally make a living, sustain themselves for long periods of time, and then all of a sudden there was this hole and it was like, yeah. you're either recording at your buddy's house or you're recording at, <laughs> you know, like yeah. a $200 an hour studio. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Like the mm-hmm. middle just got sucked out of it. Yeah. Exactly. So where did you, what did you, how the fuck do you recover from that? Like, what did you do? <clears throat> we uh, are, the band split in two, two of the guys uh, uh, went, elsewhere and mark and i decided we would we were not we were stubbornly not ready to give up and we um auditioned folks to to take over and we found that took a little bit of time and you know we 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 trudged on for a couple years and we were able to do like you know one more cool thing which was this like this mtv thing that that we we won this energy drink, I guess, as part of their marketing campaign, they tried to align align themselves with with underground bands. It's really weird. Um, okay. Back when that back when that kind of thing mattered, they basically put out these like comps of of these bands, and you had to you had to do these like interviews, uh, or basically talk about your band and send them some music, and they they put together these comps. It was Mountain Dew Energy Drink Amp, so it was like the Dew Circuit or something like that. It was it's right. so, so, so kind funny. of like a warp tourish thing or yeah, something. Yeah, so yeah, so, so by doing this, you were automatically entered into this thing where they were going to pick twelve of these bands, and they were, it was just a whole another like battle of the bands thing. It was really interesting. Ultimately, the the they, they picked three bands at the end to like go on MTV and <clears throat> play this. And then you played a song, and then and then you were like voted. You 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 were voted by online voting determined your whether you would win or not. And we won. And that was cool because you, we were able to get some, the the cash prize helped bail us out of debt. All the money that we, 
we had we had racked uh, all the debt we had racked up this credit this aforementioned credit card debt was able to be paid off from this like contest that we won um oh my and, god um, and that was helpful in in the sense that it kind of gave us like a renewed purpose and it, it was like okay like things are a little better than we thought um and that just that lasted for like a little longer before before it was obvious that, 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 you know, that the band had probably run its course. We didn't really know what else to do. And, um, you know, that, that things had kind of like, we, we were ready to just kind of put it on hold. Um, but when you look at the, in the grand scheme, when you look at the the seven years that that band was together, uh, Mark and I were just never really able to recover from like the setback of like, you know, the, the, the label disaster. I mean, that's a um, tremendous fucking thing, dude. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> like, sure. Like, all your work, just not. Yeah, Damn. exactly. Yeah. So during all this time, like, what were you doing, like, what were you doing for, like, work, like, to pay bills and stuff, like, while you're trying yeah, to Yeah, so for the first, records? like, four, yeah, for the first four years, we were seeing how it was together. Like, thank God I had my, my dad just was nice enough to, to let me live in the house. Um, and I was gone all a lot so that wasn't really that i wasn't really much of a problem once once the once the touring slowed down you know we came home and i was living you know we were living off of off of the the record deal um i you know i was around the house a lot more and i was probably more of a pain in the ass and then and then when the label thing goes under and we're home a lot it was really obvious that i had to start figuring out what to do i mean i had no job and i didn't know what i had no idea what to do and Mark was a bartender at Ipanema, and um, and I was like, well, he does that, so I should, I, I should, I'll do the same thing. And there was a restaurant in Richmond called that was called Acapella at the time, and my friend, yeah, Mike, Mike Sorvino worked was the bar manager there, and I just basically talked him into letting me learn how to bartend, which made sense because it has the same kind of hours as musician hours. And I could play, you know, I could play my own music and I didn't have to have like an office job and I could keep, you know, yeah, keep the same hours and play music and just, you can, you know, you kind of live like a rock and roll life. And this was like, you know, early, early to mid 2000s where it was kind of like, it was in Churchill and it was still kind of wild west. So it was like a, a pretty raucous bar scenario. Um, yeah. Interesting thing about that is uh, I am now co-owner of that restaurant and I'm still there i still have the same job oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's the thing is like you know a lot of people they talk about you know when you're trying to do something like this like you know probably around the age that y'all were when fun size split it's like you know people everybody will be like you know make sure you get a fucking backup plan and i kind of read this thing from somebody i can't remember who said it but they were like i've never seen anyone like prepare a backup plan and actually do the thing that they want to do like the backup plan always ends up eating up 90% of your resources. Yeah, um, exactly. So like, that's cool as fuck that you were able to like find something that you could actually pursue your actual mm-hmm. goal. Yeah. It was, it was a trick that kind of helped me just continue to kind of play music and, and um, you know, yeah, I mean, bartending and, and, you know, playing music work, work very well together. Um, so it was, it was a, it was an interesting way to to, to to keep things going, you know. And and eventually, I was like, I, I for a long time, I lived above the restaurant, and just like rent was like three hundred and fifty dollars a month in this attic. It was awesome. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, 
so that was the the kind of like the trick that I that I found for a while after the initial like you know four years of River City I was like constantly touring and being on the road and stuff and and, and yeah and I'm still I'm still there I, I pretty much do this thing where I just kind of stick with I, I get in one thing and I just kind of stay with it forever I can't make too many different choices <laughs> oh that's awesome though I mean it makes things simpler for sure yeah, I right, think exactly. kind of the problem with everyone's life is, is this kind of paradox of choice that we have, and it actually ends up kind of hindering us to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so after that, how are you feeling musically? And like, what the fuck do you do? I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't like, know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, in anything. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, COVID kind of like – Freaked, freaked me out in the sense that I'm just like I don't really know like what is left for me in terms of music I love it very much uh I still have a practice space I still have all my gear um I am able to every once in a while Fantasio has played some stuff that's been great I recorded an entire record with my friend Andreas um that is all like pop punk stuff and it's really good we haven't finished it but we don't really it's just like he and I and we don't really have other dudes to play it with so it's we kind of don't really know what to do with it right now you know there's like there's like we have you know I, there's like 12 songs and they're all super fun and good but you know i don't really like <clears throat> we don't really know who we could you know play with so i guess i guess i've just kind of been like out of the mix for so long you know i still have all my gear i'm like still play but i don't i don't have a specific directed band outlet for a long time i was doing this project for a long time called long arms and that was super fun and um i really like our last record but after you know the covid thing happened and since things have been starting back up yet we haven't played much together um well i think so i don't know everybody exactly i mean that remains you just kind of like are you kind of look at it and you're like what like this is not totally needed in the world right now but uh for me yeah i just I don't really know what my what where where I where, where my place is with all of that right now. I don't know. It's 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 really up for it's really up for discussion, up for grabs. Um, but you know, have well, talking about COVID, play. yeah, have baseball play. <laughs> yeah, you're a hell of a yeah. bass player. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. We talk about pre-COVID, so you know we did that St. Edward's reunion show. Yeah, and, before um, oh, wow. we got yeah, to yeah. have a sold out show mm-hmm. with all these people coming from all over the fucking place. Yeah. You know, for the first time in like, what was y'all's experience like doing that? Um, I, yeah, I'm so happy that, um, that, that again, that it fell, you know, right, right before that, it was great to get like a good show like that. in. when you look back on that, on that like pre COVID time, you just, you don't really know. You're like, you're like, wow, this whole thing was coming shortly. That would change everything for everybody forever. Right. <laughs> um, so it was just, I, I, I love the innocence uh, in a lot of ways of, of how, you know, we're all very focused on this like reunion show and it was going to be, you know, a lot of fun and, and it ended up being, you know, great. And then, you know, two months later, you know, live music totally stopped. And also if you remember, I'm, you know, I'm a, I, I have a, restaurants so restaurants stopped too so my life just uh, totally came to a weird stop i felt like i was back in river city high all over again and the label went under <laughs> i was like oh, shit dude. what am i doing yeah and here i go again i'm broke 
things are weird. I can't leave my house. I had like no purpose in life. I'm reading Moby Dick. You know, it's just like, it was um, was just, it's awful. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I know people that, you know, depend on live music, like sound men, things like this. Like, yeah. It fucking, you know, they they had to figure out for the last two or three years, like other jobs, like, and, you know, if you're putting yourself into something where like, that's your trade, it's not like something you do on the weekend. It's like what you fucking do. That's crazy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, and and this this is over a bigger backdrop of like, you know, the world falling apart. So this is right. Like we're not, we're not even including that, that, that existential crisis. We're just talking, you know, we're talking about music and stuff. You're talking about yeah. the political, like, Trump fucking landscape. Exactly. Election. Yeah, everything <laughs> that happened. I mean, what the fuck happened in 2020? Oh, my God. You look back on 2020 slash in the first week of 2021, and you're like, oh, my, like, I can't believe anyone survived that. I mean, there was a looming virus that could have killed us, that we thought could kill us at any time. And then yeah. there's all that other stuff. Like, how? Yeah. God, like I feel like it was like 1969 when, like, you know, when when RFK and MLK and Malcolm X, they were all assassinated the same year. You know, we're looking at like 2020, yeah. and it's like there's a virus, and it's George Floyd, and then there's the election. Like, how the fuck? Like, we're just now starting to look at that and being like, and and realizing how it has affected society as a whole. You know. I mean, um, you know, and that's like what a year to live through. Yeah, well, you know, my and I have a kid, I have a nine year old, and like just thinking yeah. like when I was a kid, like I think the biggest thing that happened was the challenger exploding. Yep. You know, like that was like the crisis or whatever of my age group. January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five was that was that impressionable for you, huh? Yeah, you know, yeah. but then that's like amazing. you think about what they went like what these kids are going through, like yeah. What the fuck? I know, man. <laughs> yeah. Like that's their picture of the world. Like mm-hmm. coming into it like Yeah. I, I was on Amazon one day and I, I was just looking for masks and uh I just realized like if I had a time machine and I like just jumped to twenty twenty you know, late twenty twenty, I'd just be like, What the fuck did y'all do? Like mm-hmm. why why do you need fucking masks? Mm-hmm. Like, what have y'all done? Like, yeah, it's I know. crazy. It's crazy. It's so crazy. But you were able to keep the restaurant and everything like going. Yeah, yeah the restaurant. Yeah, the, well, we just we decided the best thing for us to do was just to close. Um, we didn't we we didn't try to. We kept we opened we opened up for a bit. Realized it wasn't really going to work, and so we just kind of stayed idle. It was better to stay idle than it was to stay open and like lose money. And then right. once every once all the restrictions went away, we we reopened. Um, but uh, but man, um, it's now it's it's so crazy because as at this point, we're talking in you know November 2022. Everything started in March 2020, right? So um, there's been more time now past the virus than you know than during it right it's just it's been about a year and a half now that things are like right everything reopened so so now that we're 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 this far past it um it is really crazy to think that there was a time where i was like watching 
the governor's press conferences to find out whether or not we could be open, when we could open again, how the what the rules were for that. I mean, you know, it was just insane to watch a press conference and the, and the governor saying, okay, here are the new rules. You know, your restaurant has to be closed. You can't have, you know, you can't have a bar. You can't do this. You can't have bar seating. You know, you can only have, and then it was like, then you can have like 20 people and then you can have 40, you know, just watching the rules change as time went on and how, how it changed from state to state. And Oh my God. I didn't, I didn't realize it. So, so it's a bar. Do y'all have like, primary food that you, you could have done like carry out or something or we tried or to do carry really... out but it was it just it, no people the spirit wasn't really there at the time for like just people weren't people were kind of like not necessarily you know going out and spending a lot of money at least yeah. at our place they weren't so right um, right yeah it, it was it was not a kind of thing where where we we kept we kept it open um it was better again it was better to stay like idle um, and then, and then once we got the all clear, we, we were able to reopen again. The fact that you were able to pull it off is pretty fucking awesome. Cause I mean, shit, like I remember like three months into that shit, like just tons right. of businesses were dropping. Yeah, man. Yeah. There was, it, it, there was, there were so many places that closed and some I really, really missed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit. I mean, maybe you learned some stuff from the label thing that actually helped you through this. I mean, cause like what you basically did was you accepted that. Right. You would lot. think that, but no, it was still, it was still just, it was just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, shit, dude, wrapping up. Um, yeah. You think this record's actually going to come out or, I mean. <clears throat> That's such a great question. <clears throat> the person with whom I recorded it, Andreas, um, we need to, we, we need to focus. We need to ask Andreas if we're, if this is going to come out. I, I think what we need to do is we need to find we need to make a concerted effort to find a couple of people to play with. And um, I think that would be really awesome. You know, we, we, we started this record in the middle of COVID and I think that we should, you know, can, we should make this a band. We don't even have a name really for it yet. It's just like the thing that we did, but um, I really like it. And I really hope that, <laughs> that we find some people to play with. So uh, yeah. on my way. Yeah, if you know a, All right. if you know a, if you know a dude who plays pop punk guitar or bass, I don't really know what I'm gonna play in the band, but I'll probably play bass. We'll probably find a guitar player. If you find someone, let him know. Send him my way. And that concludes my interview with James Menifee. I'd like to thank James for taking the time to talk with me. You can check out music by his bands Fun Size, River City High, and his project Long Arms on most streaming sites. For more episodes like this, head to VariousThingsPodcast.com or listen on your preferred podcast streaming service under the show title, Various Things. This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.